0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Thursday, December 15th. I'm Amanda borchel Dan here with our Knesset correspondent, Carrie Keller-Lynn, and real estate reporter, Danielle Nagler. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Good morning, Amanda. We have a lot to cover today, including a preview of tonight's live stream Times of Israel event on looming legislation that's pushing for judicial reform. We'll try and make order from the chaos this week in the Knesset, and we'll hear from Danielle about how even while the home sales in Israel are sharply dropping, there's still what to do with even 300,000 shekels. But first, a short break.
1: Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk law firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk law team strongly supports Israel.
0: We're back. Listeners, tonight, the Times of Israel is holding a live-streamed event in which our editor, David Horowitz, is hosting seven legal experts for a nuanced discussion about the possible consequences of the override clause proposal. Carrie, very briefly, tell our listeners what this clause actually is.
2: The override clause would be a mechanism by which the Knesset, Israel's legislative authority, could uh, have a political thumb over the judiciary, the Supreme Court, and currently the way that the system works is that the Supreme Court has the authority. It gave itself this authority in 2005, much like the Supreme Court in the U.S. did the same. uh, It gave itself this authority to invalidate laws or pieces of laws passed by the Knesset that come in conflict with some of Israel's basic laws. It has invalidated about 22 parts or full pieces of legislation since the Supreme Court took this authority upon itself almost 20 years ago, and uh, it's also caused a lot of tension with the Knesset, as it is the source of this legislation being thwarted. And so what's being proposed is that the Knesset would create an override clause by which, given the vote of X members of Knesset, it would be able to reinstate any legislation that was uh, struck down by the Supreme Court. The number is still being debated. Uh, Past proposals have been for 61 MKs, which would be a simple majority. Remember, 61 out of 120 is the key number to form a coalition. So theoretically, any coalition, any ruling government would be able to push its policy, push its legislation through despite Supreme Court oversight if this clause were in place.
3: It is so fascinating. And I think uh, there's a lot more to it, of course, than what you're saying. But even prior to 2005, wasn't the Supreme Court the venue for people who were trying to broaden civil rights, for instance, in the cases of uh, reform conversion and the recognition of uh, reform as as Judaism in the state of Israel for citizenship purposes? Many different consequences. Absolutely.
2: The Supreme Court hears about 10,000 cases a year. It's not like the American Supreme Court in that the Supreme Court is the uh, last court of appeal and it must take all these cases. Um, and the Supreme Court sits in, you know, in terms of the Supreme Court. And then it also sits as the High Court of Justice, which is the Supreme Court dealing with matters pertaining to um, the government and and uh, public authorities. Uh, the Supreme Court can still continue to do these things. Uh, the override clause won't affect that. What it will affect is it will... Um, actually constrain Supreme Court's power to uh, say no to the Knesset. So if, if someone were to appeal and say that this law of the Knesset passed uh, weren't fair, it was harming me, it, it harms uh, equality of treatment of citizens, um, equality is a big thing that the Supreme Court will invalidate legislation on today. Uh, for example, that's what it's invalidated, any um, ultra-Orthodox attempts to bypass enlistment laws upon Um the the Knesset can say thank you very much, Supreme Court, for this quote recommendation, because we are going to reenact this legislation with a vote of 61 MKs.
3: So potentially huge consequences. So please tune in, everyone, at six o'clock Israel time for the live stream on The Times of Israel's website. Now, Carrie on Monday, editor David Horvitz gave us a preview of what we thought the Knesset was going to accomplish that day Swear in MK Yariv Levin as a temporary speaker of the Knesset, as well as pushed through three bills, one for Shaft leader Ari Day, one for religious Zionism leader Betelis Smotritz and one for Otzma Yudit leader Itmar Ben Gvir. And then what happened? <laughs>
2: Uh, and then the the opposition, the incoming opposition, I would say, because it's, you know, whose opposition, who co- whose coalition is still confusing, given that we haven't sworn in a new government, the incoming opposition decided to flex its muscles and said it would force a filibuster. Um, ultimately, what happened is that the incoming oppositions and coalitions came to an agreement rather than pass this uh, legislation and hold this vote on Monday, they would do it on Tuesday morning and thus uh, save themselves a very late night, save the journalists a late night too, so I'll say thank you there. The reason why the incoming opposition and the former coalition wanted to do this is they believe that they can, you know, if they jam the legislative wheels enough, um, if they slow down the pace of legislation as we get closer and closer to Netanyahu's uh, December 21st deadline to form a government, maybe they'll be Fights and, and stress and, and tension between the partners in this incoming government, maybe something would happen. This is kind of what uh, all the opposition MKs and strategists will tell you if you ask them why they're doing this they they all know it's likely not going to ultimately affect the outcome. Uh, but you know you have to try as they would say because this is the this is the opposition's the purpose of an opposition in Israel.
3: So what did actually happen in the meantime with all of these bills and Yariv Levin was actually sworn in as the temporary speaker? When?
2: Right. Good good point. How did this story resolve? Uh, the next morning, Yuriv Levin was uh, sworn in as the as speaker. Uh, they've called it temporary posting. it's There's no such thing as a temporary speaker. They they want to make it temporary by um, saying that Levin will quit the post uh, right before swearing in the government so that he could become a minister and then someone else will take on the post. Uh, Levin is a very clear Close, confident of Netanyahu, he also is a former speaker. So Netanyahu really trusts him to muscle this legislation through. And there are actually four bills that are being uh, passed right now. Three that are demanded by Likud's far right and ultra orthodox uh, coalition partners. and One beat by the Likud itself. Uh, voting is currently underway on the the first reading, technically the second vote. Uh, the first reading of Likud's bill right now. Whereas the other three are still in their committee process. Um, what remains to be done? They need to be. Prepared prepared. prepared for the first reading um through the committees they need to go through their first readings they need to go back to committee and then they need to go through their second and third readings um this is this is a lot of opportunity for the opposition to continue to jam the legislative wheels um Likud wants to get this legislation completed as early as possible, possibly next Monday when the plenum reopens, uh, more likely later in the week, uh, such that it can declare it has a government and swear the government in on the timeline required by law.
3: And the clock is ticking until when, Kerry?
2: So the government must be announced by December 21st and must be sworn in uh, by the 28th, seven days later.
3: Okay, tick, tick, tick. Kerry. <laughs> thanks so much and we'll go to a short break.
1: The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts.
3: And we're back. Hi, Danielle. This shouldn't really come as a surprise to anyone who listens regularly to the daily briefing, but the government yesterday published data showing that home sales in October plummeted by a staggering 65% compared to the same month last year. Were you at all surprised at just how dire the situation is? Or... Is that just a case of people no longer willing to pay the prices that are
4: demanded by sellers? If it were a case of people not willing to pay the prices, I think we would all breathe a huge sigh of relief. But actually, it's more complicated than that. Uh, We're expecting figures today which will show what's going on in terms of prices in the housing market. And it's most unlikely that those are going to show a fall. They might show a slight reduction in the speed at which prices are going up. But what seems to be happening is that the number of properties being transferred has dropped substantially. As you've said, it's amongst the lowest levels in the last 20 years. It's at levels not seen since the start of the COVID crisis, when everyone put the brakes on property transfers. But what we're seeing happen is that people are holding out for higher prices. Developers paid high prices to get the land and to develop it, and so they're reluctant to take a hit on the price. And uh, regular clients who are looking to sell their homes have heard how high the prices are going to be, and they're reluctant to take less. So that's why we're seeing these dramatic falls in the changeover of properties, but actually prices seem to just keep on going and becoming as it were, more ridiculous by the month. The average property in Israel now costs 1.9 million shekels, which means that you need 500,000 to 700,000 shekels to buy that property and to take a mortgage whose cost is also rising, because we've seen over the last six months, the Bank of Israel is pushing up interest rates month by month in a bid to try to manage inflation which is at over five percent somewhere out of their range of one to three percent and so they need to bring that down but the way that we're seeing consumers respond to this is simply to choose not to buy right now mortgage borrowing is going up but so are the costs of mortgage borrowing and so it's likely that it's made up of fewer people taking bigger loans because there is a view through the housing sector and amongst consumers, that as prices will carry on going up, there's not a good time to buy. Now is the best time to buy because what you want will only become more and more inaccessible.
3: Okay, so you had this really great series in which you look through the eyes of Dina and Ilan, a young couple from Tel Aviv that are a fictitious couple from Tel Aviv. And you talk about three different ways in which they... Dina and Ilan could get on the housing market with only, only in quotes, of course, but only 300,000 shekels, which is what, around 90,000 US dollars, something like that. So tell us about uh, each of the three parts. The first part, they're in Tel Aviv, right? They're trying to get onto the housing ladder.
4: The first part, we're looking at what can they buy in Israel. And with a pot of 300,000 shekels, that's a property costing around 1.1 million shekels, well below the average based on uh, what we're seeing now. Totally out of question to buy in Tel Aviv, it seems, because the average property in Tel Aviv is now just under 3 million shekels. But we wanted to take an amount that we thought was reasonable for a couple to be able to save without calling on the bank of mum and dad and to see with a 75% mortgage what they might be able to afford. The answers are kind of probably not what they actually want to buy. If you scratch around the most undeveloped parts of Tel Aviv, close to the bus station in the old south, where it's very, very run down, you might be able to get a very small one-bedroom flat for that amount of money. Same in Jerusalem. If you if you look around the worst areas of Jerusalem, either Palestinian areas or very religious Jewish areas, you might find something small for that money. You probably won't want to live there. So if you're thinking more creatively about where could we live, you need to look at kind of secondary towns, which although the prices have increased, they haven't increased so steeply. And you need to look at towns where property prices may go up in the future, for example, by the railway coming to them or by being on a line that's likely to speed up. And that takes you to places like Naharia or Ofakim or Be'er Yaakov. Not places that kind of trip off the tongue, but places that still have substantial number of properties you could buy for about 1.1 million shekels. In part two, we looked at whether it made more sense to buy overseas because prices are much, much, much lower in places like Cyprus and Greece. And you can also still get a very high mortgage there. So your 300,000 shekels goes a lot further. And whereas the returns from rentals in Israel are probably about 1.5 to 2 percent, you don't get a lot. It's probably not going to pay your mortgage somewhere else. It's probably not going to pay your rent somewhere else. Um, You're buying it as an investment because the price of the property hopefully will go up and so far they definitely are right (laughs) so far the best investment is probably to buy what you can in israel but you can get a very nice holiday home in greece or cyprus you can rent that place out you will probably make four to five percent renting it out and you know that's a kind of reasonable way to invest in property you can also go to dubai or the united states or the uk and again in all of those places there are vehicles which will allow you to buy more than you can buy in Israel and probably to profit more certainly from the income stream coming from them. If you really want to stay in Israel and really don't like the idea of buying a very small place in a town you may not particularly want to live in, you can buy to to rent out and the most sensible place to buy to rent out is somewhere where there's a high number of people who are looking to rent. So that's always Tel Aviv, but we probably don't have enough for Tel Aviv. Alternatively, there are the areas around universities. So in Givat Noel, in Haifa, close to the university and the Technion, in Ariel. And there are properties there that you can buy out and be fairly certain that you will find students who want to rent and will be good tenants for a year. If you want to, invest the money in the housing sector without actually buying a property, there are now options called REITs, which are real estate investment trusts, which buy commercial property, land and residential projects and allow you to kind of get exposure to investing in all those even with your 300,000 shekels. of course you can also buy stocks and shares in big construction companies which are traded on the tel aviv stock exchange that also gives you exposure to the real estate sector um, but in the end unfortunately at, with house prices going up as they are going at the moment prices are going up by just under 20 percent a year you won't find another real estate investment that is going up as fast as that. So coming back to our our, our fictional couple, the blunt advice is either they need to buy something which is not going to be their first choice of property, and where they may well not want to live themselves, but will rent it out and carry on renting somewhere that is more attractive to them. Or they need to work on saving more money faster. Wow, (laughs) that's not
3: great (laughs) news to hear. But Danielle, realistic. Thank you so much. I appreciate all your uh, insight. Really fascinating. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this this out-of-this-world
1: music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts.
0: And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or
1: Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time. Shalom.